You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. So we're continuing our series. We're in week four based on the book, Be the Message, and it's written by Pastor Kerry Shook along with his wife, Chris, and they're uh, from Woodlands Church in Houston, Texas. And uh, in their book, they remind us that Christianity is meant to be more than just the words that we speak. It's uh, also meant to be our faith in action. And uh, so our text this morning is coming from the book of James. It's uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And uh, I looked at several different translations, and I'd like to read it to you from the New English translation, if you don't mind. It says, Be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror For he gazes at himself and then goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. And so in this series, uh, Pastor James has used a couple times uh, that actions speak louder than words. And it's true because... Our life communicates a message to the people around us uh, simply through our actions. And uh, Christian or not, we all convey a message and it uh, just by the way that we live. And it comes out of the core of who we are, you know, the the choices that we make, the, the way we respond, our actions. And people are looking at that. And so we're conveying a message. And... uh, So I've titled this message, Developing Your Character. And in it, we're going to look at how our character development is a necessary part of communicating the message of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to uh, hear your word. And Father, not only to be a listener, but Father, that... um, You have equipped us by your Holy Spirit that we will be doers as well. And so, Father, I I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would teach us today, maybe quicken uh, something that needs to change in our uh, character as we yield to you, as you develop the character within us so that we can be the message uh, into this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. And so in our opening passage, we read about a man that gazes at himself in the mirror. He looks at himself. And uh, I don't know if any of you have a mirror in your bathroom. I know that we do. You know, we're privileged that way. We get to see ourselves in the morning when we wake up and our hair is a mess. And thankfully, we don't just look in the mirror and then just walk away and forget that our hair is a mess. And so (laughs) we see that this guy looks in the mirror and then he walks away from the mirror and he quickly forgets what sort of person that he is. And uh, I believe that the mirror that James is talking about is really the mirror of the Word of God. And uh, 
it's not really talking about forgetting what we look like on the outside, but it speaks more of our character and forgetting what sort of person we are on the inside. One time, Philip asked Jesus, uh, show us the Father. And Jesus replied, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so I wonder, I, I have to ask myself, when people look at my life, when people see the choices that I make, the way I respond in different situations, are they able to see Jesus, or am I standing in the way? See, God has called us to reflect the image of Christ, and we're to reflect the attributes of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God is working in us through his Holy Spirit to develop these Christ-like qualities in us. And much like the moon reflects the sunlight back to the earth, we are to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, who is the true light, back into the world that's around us. Now think about it. The moon doesn't produce any light of its own. Kind of hard to, to believe that, especially on these full harvest moons where you can step outside and you don't need a flashlight. You can just see around everything. But the moon doesn't produce any light of its own. It simply reflects the sunlight back to the earth. And I read an article that it's actually just 12% of the sunlight that is reflected back on the earth. And in the same way, we don't have any light of ourselves, but we reflect the Son of God and His light back into the dark world that we walk in. And so we're talking about developing our character, and so the first thing I need to ask is, well, what is character? Someone once said that the most important part of any story is the character development. You know, if the characters are weak, you're not even going to want to finish the story. But if the characters have been fully developed, it keeps your interest. It, it makes you want to read the story. Merriam-Webster defines character as the way someone feels, thinks, and behaves. And so from that, what I see character is, is that essence of who we are as a person. It's the, what makes us... Uh, make the decisions that we make. It's, it's our core beliefs because you're going to act out whatever you believe. And uh, it's more than just a, an image or a reputation, but it's actually comprised of those core beliefs that we have. And uh, I just want to share a, a quick story with you. Uh, it's been, I think, about four years ago now. Uh, Ruth read an article about uh, the difference between organic apples and regular apples and how they absorb toxins. And so it went through the article and it, and it made its point that if you're going to eat an apple, eat an organic apple. Well, at this time, we went to uh, Sprouts and Ruth was all set. She had it on her list. We're going to have organic apples. And we're pushing the cart down through the fruit aisle, and at that time, organic apples were almost $3 a, a pound, and you look over at the regular apples, and they're 88 cents, and so it challenges, well, what do you really believe? 
her core beliefs were being challenged. Do she, does she really believe that, yes, organic apples is, is the best thing for us and we're going to, to eat those organic apples? Or are we going to go back and, and just continue eating the regular apples? And, well, sadly, we bought the organic apples and <laughs> that's where the majority of our uh, grocery bill went. But uh, thankfully, uh, organic apples now are around 90 cents, and regular apples are still about 88 cents, so the prices come down, and so it's easier to make that choice. It doesn't cost us as much, but at that time, it really challenges what do you believe. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said that character is like a tree, and reputation is like a shadow. He said that the shadow, or the reputation is what we think of it. And the tree or our character is the real thing. You know, a lot of us project an image, but if that image doesn't match up with what's on the inside, then it's a false image. And it's not long before you realize that that's just a shadow and you see the real person. Uh, and it's just like, you know, when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see our reflection of who we are. And sometimes we see a disconnect there between what we say we believe and, what we, and the way we actually act. And so what we want to do is when we read the Word of God, we want to change our appearance. We want to change that character and align our beliefs to what God's Word says so that we're not just saying one thing and living our life another way. That would be hypocrisy. And so what we want to do is be the message in our actions as well as our words. And so our Heavenly Father wants us to grow up. And growing up, the most important part of that is our character development. How many have ever seen a baby throw a fit? And, well, let's take it on up to a toddler. And you're standing at the checkout line. And the toddler throws a fit because they want this candy. And, you know, they're screaming, they're red-faced, and they're, they're crying out for this candy. And finally, you just see the parent just, here, take the candy. Just, to, you know, be quiet. I want some peace. <laughs> well, the, the baby learns that, you know, if they cry, if they throw a fit, they're going to get their will. And, you know, sometimes we do the same thing with God. And uh, he wants to develop that character. You know, you see that baby, and what's the first thing that comes to your mind? They're spoiled. What is it that's spoiled about the baby? It's their character. And, uh, you know, that's why God disciplines us, so that our character will no longer stay in this selfish, uh, I don't know what that's called. Uh, what the, how do you say Brad in Spanish? <laughs> that word. <laughs> he wants us to grow up and to be mature in Christ. And so the point number one is the development of our character is God's will. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we see that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person, meaning that that old life is gone and a new life has begun. That old sinful nature has passed away. It's been crucified on the cross with Jesus. It's died It's no longer a part of your identity if you belong to Jesus. And so a new life, a new birth 
has begun. It doesn't say that it's arrived. It says it's begun. And so we see that it's a process. And the Holy Spirit lives in us and he's working, developing our character so that we'll grow up and be more and more like Jesus. And so God wants our wants us to grow in character so that we will be a reflection of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. And so God wants us to be that reflection into the dark world, wherever we're at. If we're in school, whether it's our job, at the marketplace, wherever we are, we are to be a light shining in the darkness. And it's not our light, but we are a reflection of the true light, which is Jesus. And so I have some misconceptions about spiritual maturity that I've written down. And, you know, sometimes we think that we should be mature instantly. Now, wouldn't it be a shock if the doctor came to Jacob and said, I'd like to present your, your daughter. And he's going in expecting this little baby and here's a five foot seven, <laughs> looks just like Ashara, you know, dressed up, earrings. That's not natural. You know, uh, I've never seen a baby, you know, in the, the baby viewing places. What are those called? Anyways, the, <laughs> the hospital you go in and you look at all the babies and, you know, you're seeing them. I've never seen a six foot tall baby, you know, with a full beard. Laying in one of those incubators. But the truth is that spiritual maturity, just like our physical maturity, it's a process. It's not instant, but it's a, a gradual process. And sometimes, you know, it's painful as we grow up, but, but we see that God has everything under control. Even the Apostle Paul and as mature as he was, you know, he's writing to the, the church in Philippi, and he says, I have not yet reached or attained perfection, but I press on. And so it's that pressing on. That's our character development. And so we see that spiritual maturity, it's not directly related to how long we've been a Christian either. But rather, it's how well we reflect the characteristics of being Christ-like. Peter tells us, you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So get rid of evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. And so we see that our development doesn't just come automatic. It says, get rid of evil behavior. Put away and be done with deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and all those things. And it's not instant. It takes time to develop. And all of us are in different stages of that development. Sometimes we expect people, to, when they come and they put their trust in Jesus, to all of a sudden 
be fully mature in Christ. And then when we see them, you know, poop their diapers, well, then we tend to judge them and think, well, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, they're a baby Christian. Now, if they're still doing that when they should be, you know, maybe serving and they're still throwing the fit in the aisle, wanting the candy, well, then there's a growth issue and we need to develop that so that they become more and more like Christ. So as a father of two, I can tell you that nothing warms a father's heart more than to hear somebody say that your child looks and acts just like you. And so I think it probably, well, not probably, it does warm the, our Heavenly Father's heart to know that when people see us, they, they can see Jesus in us. And so spiritual maturity doesn't just happen. We've got to want it. And I love the imagery that Peter gives us of a newborn baby uh, craving pure spiritual milk. You know, he's not talking about just having an occasional snack on God's word. A newborn baby will not rest until it's had its hunger satisfied. And three o'clock in the morning doesn't mean anything to a newborn. You know, when they want to eat, the world stops. And we should be that way with God's word. It's, you know, your, your mom's probably told you, you know, if you want to grow, you got to eat. And so that's how it is. If we want to grow up, we've got to eat the word of God. Colossians 1.10 says, We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your, your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow up as you learn to know God better and better. And so our purpose, if I can borrow a quote from Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. He says, our purpose is to know God and to make him known. Well, another misconception that we might have about spiritual maturity is that we think that if we become a Christian, all of a sudden, all of our problems are just going to disappear. But Jesus told us that here on this earth, we would have many trials and sorrows. But we should take heart because he has overcome the world. You know, God never promised to rescue us out of every troubling situation. But he did promise that he would be with us, that he would go through these times with us and, and he would use them to develop our character. I think about uh, the three Hebrew children, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They went into a fiery furnace, but they weren't alone. You know, we'll go through the water, but that doesn't overflow us. It says we go through the fire, we'll not be burned because he is with us. And he's, he's using that. So God's at work in all situations to bring growth in us. In Isaiah, the Lord reminds us that as the heavens are higher than the earth, and our thoughts are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts than our thoughts. 
And we read in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good. You know, God has our best in mind. God's a good God. Picture than what we see. I was uh, listening to uh, Bobby Shuler this morning just briefly as I was flipping through channels and he gave it this illustration. I thought it was kind of cool. It fit here. He says he takes his son to Disneyland. His son loves the Buzz Lightyear ride. And uh, so they, they get into the line. And I don't know if you, you've seen the entrances to the Disney rides, but it seems like you're right there. You know, and the Buzz Lightyear especially, they have it. It says Buzz Lightyear over the top, and you're right there at the entrance. And it doesn't look like anybody's at the entrance. And you think... I'm going to be first on the ride, and you go up there. And so he says that his son would get so excited because that's his favorite ride. And, and then they make a turn, and they start walking away from the entrance, and the son's pointing back, Dad, Dad, and pulling on him. And, and he says, yes, son. And, and he knows that as they go this way, they're getting closer to the ride. But from the child's perspective, he doesn't see that. He thinks that, where are you leading me? The ride's over here. You know, sometimes we're like that. God has this plan for us. And we don't fully understand it. And we think that we need to go this direction. But God is leading us closer to his target of how he wants us to be that we will fit his purpose. And we're being closer to that. And so I thought that was a good illustration and it, it kind of fit right there. Um, God has given us the ability to choose. And uh, in the Old Testament, he says, I've placed before you uh, two paths, one that leads to life and one that leads to death and destruction. Well, he's given us the ability to choose, and we can either choose God's plan, which is this plan A, and it's a perfect plan. It it's, uh, requires that we fully trust in him, but if we yield to it, then our character becomes more like Jesus, or we can follow our own plan. You know, in our limited scope, we can choose to live independent of God, thinking that we know best, relying primarily on our own reasoning, our own resources, just trying to do it in our own strength, and that's plan B. And it's an imperfect plan because it's based on our opinions, our motives, without seeing the full picture. And Solomon explains this in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. You know, on the surface, we might not agree that God's, or we might agree that God's plan is the best, but when it comes to that everyday living, that plan Sometimes we default back to our own plan, that plan B. We kind of keep it tucked away like an escape plan, just in case that other thing doesn't work out. Well, what we're doing is we have unbelief. We're not fully trusting that God loves us and has the best intentions for us. And he's working in us so that we will accomplish his plan, his purpose, which is a bigger plan than our own. It's when we hesitate between God's plan and our plan that our growth is stunted. You know, we can incorrectly think that we're, we're helpless or we're hopeless to change. 
And so we become discouraged and many give up their walk of faith. But we are neither helpless nor hopeless because we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And he's given us this great ability to choose. And choosing and following God's plan is always an option to us. We have just as much right or chance of following God's way as we do of following our own. So in making the decision to follow God's plan on a daily basis, we find that godly character begins to develop in us. And this is what God wants. He's called us to be different than the world. And we need to understand that if we're following plan B, it's not really a behavior problem, but it's a belief problem. It's because we're not fully trusting that God's way is best for us. But when we intentionally align our beliefs, you know, and that, that comes from meditating on God's word, filling our, our minds with his truth, worshiping him in our spirit, Lifting up our prayers to him. And it, it's not a, a to-do list. It's not a law that we do that. We do that because we're in a relationship with him. Nothing can grow without abiding in the vine. And I'll give you a scripture in just a minute. You know, it's only as we abide in Jesus that we mature and we bear fruit. In John 15, 4, it says, A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You know, sometimes we're more concerned with our image of what we're going to project. We don't want to do anything weird, right? So sometimes we doubt what God's plan is for us. But sometimes we get in the way. And we need to remind ourselves that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live for him. And so it's that surrendering of our will to his will. And, and so God sees the whole perspective. He sees the whole picture. And he's going to use whatever circumstances that we face to work them for our good. God has a specific mission or a, a plan for your life. And it's a ministry that only you can fill in your specific uh, circumstance or situation. And God's going to bring glory to his name. And he's going to draw others to himself by the way that you act, the words that you speak. And if your words and your, your actions line up, people are going to know that that's true. But our growth is an essential, it's essential to carrying out this ministry. I like what Tony Dungy said. He says, your life has been intentionally designed by God to have a uniquely significant and eternal impact on the world around you. So remember that nobody can take your place in the body of Christ. God is a, a specific, unique uh, ministry for you. You've been gifted and given certain talents just 
And he's developing his character in you just so that you can fulfill that ministry. And it's something that I can't do or somebody else can't do, but God has placed you where you're at in whatever situation you're in because he has that plan for you to carry out. So God loves us so much that he personally molds us with his own hands. Like a master potter, he fashions us and he dedicates himself to forming us so that we will be a a useful vessel with an eternal purpose. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so let's take a closer look at that process of making pottery. I remember in high school, I went on a field trip with our art class. And we went down to a a little pottery shop in Tucson. I think it was either on 4th Avenue or 6th Avenue. Just a tiny little shop. And there was a potter in there. And they had the potter wheel. And they had shelves of all this pottery that uh, the potter had designed and, and thrown on this wheel. And they began to explain all the process, all the steps of making pottery. And uh, I remember the first thing that the potter did. We were there, and he had these vats that were covered, and he opened it up, and he reached in, and he took out this glop. That's a good good word, glop, of clay. And he, he put it on this table with burlap, and he began to knead it like a loaf of bread. And, uh, you know, in bread, you're trying to get air bubbles in, but he was getting the air bubbles out and getting rid of that excess Water, because to me it just looked like a slimy, squishy mud pie. How many remember uh, making mud pies as a kid? Yeah, kids don't have that enjoyment anymore. They're too busy inside doing schoolwork or playing video games. But I got to play in the mud, and so I remember it as a squishy mud pie. And that's what it looked like to me. And, And that first step is called sourcing the clay. You know, some clays are more pliable than others. You know, some... You, you mold them and you, you try to put them back in a ball and remold them and it starts to tear away. It gets too dry. But this potter got this clay and he got it just right and he began to, to mold it and he'd flatten it down and he'd put it back into a ball and finally came the next step after the clay was fully prepared and he, he put it on the, the wheel. And Before he could start forming it, he had to get it centered. And so this second step is called centering the clay. And the wheel's spinning. He gets that spinning, and and he's pressing with his hands, you know, and he's smoothing out all those lumpy spots and parts that were sticking out. He'd push them back in, you know, and the clay's kind of wobbling around at first, and he's moving it and directing it towards the center of this wheel. And finally, he gets it where it's centered. And the clay begins to center, and it's the process that requires much time, trust, and patience. But by the end, the clay will be smooth, solid, perfectly aligned, and on its way to becoming a work of art. The next step is the shaping of the clay. And this is the moment of truth. This is the moment that the potter has been waiting for. You know, every step before this has just been preparation. And every step after is going to be the finishing of this 
pot. And so the potter begins to work the clay and he puts his hand inside the clay and one on the outside and he begins to, to squeeze the clay and he begins at the bottom and works his way up and he, he fashions it however he wants. You know, one time I, while we were there in the demonstration, he, the potter brought out this great big old, looked like it was going to be a, a watering uh, pitcher. Big, nice, oh, it's beautiful. And then he took a, a wire and just cut right down the middle of it. Squished it all back up, started it over again, and then made it into a cup. And God sometimes does that with us. We think, oh, I'm going to be such a beautiful pot. You know, I'm going to hold flowers. And, and we're just so proud. God's going to use me. I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm going to be a prophet. And God wants you to clean the toilets. And so he, he molds you and makes you into this, this water basin. Maybe it's a water basin that gets used to wash feet. Both items are useful to the potter. And they've been designed by him. We don't all have the same function. God has uniquely designed us with a specific purpose in mind. Well, after he fashions it, then comes this next step, which is the transformation of the clay. And so, you know, I mentioned that we saw all these pots on the shelves. Well, they're put on the shelves after this so that they can dry out. Sometimes we feel like God has put us up on a shelf. You know, we're there and maybe there's other people around us that are on the shelf as well. But there comes a time a few days later where the potter picks up the clay and he inspects it for any cracks, any, any areas that, that need to be refined. Because at this point, before it's been fired... You can break it up and throw it right back into that vat with all the water and the other clay, and it'll soften, it'll dissolve, and it can be used again and be applied again. But he takes that pot, and he, he carefully places it into a kiln, and he brings the heat up, and the clay gets so hot that a permanent change takes place in the clay, and no longer will it be able to be dissolved in water. So after it's fired... It can't be remolded. It's already taken on a new shape. And, and no pot is worth anything until it's been through that fire. Well, the final step is where the real beauty of the vessel comes out. And he takes that fired uh, pot, and after it is cooled, he sands it off so it's smooth Make sure that it, it sits right and doesn't wobble. And he begins to brush on this, this glaze. And, and glazes aren't like paint where it's all, you know, blue is all such a nice blue or, or pink is such a nice pink. I remember this pink or this clear, actually. It was kind of a pink color. Some other colors were green at first, and then they came out like a copper color. And it, the potter knows what glaze to put. He, he designs it. He puts all this on and, and it's just a bunch of chemicals and tiny fragments of glass. And he 
places it back into the kiln for a second firing. And it's here that, that the glass and the chemicals fuse together and it melts over the pot into a brilliant color. Now, those are just five of the steps. There's many steps along the way that the potter showed us, but those are just the five that, that stood out to me. And so from the potter's perspective, you can see that each of these steps is necessary as he transformed this lump of clay, this shapeless lump or glop of clay, into a vessel that's both beautiful and useful. However, from the perspective of the clay, it's a different story. And we are the clay. God is the master potter. And so he knows what needs to be shaped in our lives and how to shape that. And we don't see that full picture. Point number two, the development of our clay requires humility. We need to be pliable. We need to yield to the design that God has for our lives. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Pastor Rick Warren said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. You know, it takes humility to forsake our own opinion our, of how we think our life should be, how we, we think our path should go. It takes humility to surrender our will to God's will. And it takes faith. It shows that we have trust in him, that we believe that his way is best for us. The prophet Isaiah addressing Israel's unwillingness to submit brings this exact point. And so the pot is saying, or what he's saying to the pot, how foolish can you be? He, God, is the potter, and he certainly is greater than you, the clay. Should the created thing say to the one who made it, he didn't make me? Does the jar ever say to the potter who made me is stupid? And has no understanding? No, it takes humility to know that God, who is omniscient, he knows all things, he sees the big picture, and he's good, and he cares about us, he loves us, and he says that I have a plan and a purpose for you. It's a good for you. It's not for your destruction, but it's to give you a hope and a future. So point three is that development of our character gives us hope. And hope is different than wishful thinking. Hope is the complete conviction that God will accomplish his good and perfect will in our lives, regardless of the circumstances that we are facing. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says, we can rejoice Two, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. 
You know, nobody goes in and say, yay, I'm being persecuted. Oh, boy, trials. But it says that we can rejoice because we know that when we go through this, that it builds endurance. And then it brings strength of character. And then the character brings hope. And so as we grow in character, we're able to carry out that purpose, that plan, that ministry that God has for us, that he's designed for us to accomplish. Like I say, he's fashioned each one of us with unique giftings, talents, and abilities, and he's not done with us. He's going to continue to, to mold you and to shape you for the rest of your life so that you will be not just for a purpose here on earth, but for an eternal purpose. And nobody can take your place in the body of Christ. Hopelessness is a disease in our culture. And loss of hope leads to depression and anxiety. NBC reported that one in six Americans take antidepressants. And this demonstrates the degree to which depression has permeated our society. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, the annual U.S. suicide rate has increased 24% between 1999 and 2014, the highest rate recorded in 28 years. But can I tell you, that was in 2014. That number has continued to grow. Loss of hope is a direct result of individuals living their lives without true purpose and meaning, which can only be found in the author of life, the one who has created us for a purpose. And so it's no wonder that society has re that has rejected godly principles has lost its reason to live. By contrast of this, as we grow in spiritual maturity, our character development results in a steadfast, confident life that is full of purpose and meaning. Romans 5.5 5 says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So God assures us that this hope that we have will not disappoint us. When we trust God, even in the difficult situations, we can know that he is the master potter and a beautiful and useful vessel is in the making. Whatever God has promised and planned for your life, know that he is able to accomplish it. As we choose to walk in this eternal plan that God has for us, we're promised that we're going to encounter opposition. Because this decision goes against the world system. It may even go against our learned patterns of behavior. But the benefits of living with joy and peace are priceless. And God's developing his character. And even though we, we don't understand the process, we, we feel the pain of it, we don't know the full picture of what's taking place, as we yield to God's design, we'll be filled with hope and our character will reflect the light of Jesus into a hurting world.
God has called us to be different. He's called us to be the message. And because, and this isn't just in, in speaking the message, but because the message of Christ is written on our heart, we live the message. And so whatever situations, circumstances, people that we face daily, we know that the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news that God sent his son into this world, that he can take a lump of clay, a sinful person like myself, and he can transform that life. The old person that I used to be is dead. It no longer is part of my identity. But I've been crucified with Christ. And I have a new spirit living inside of me. The Holy Spirit is working in me, developing me, molding me to be more and more like Jesus. Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this process. Sometimes, Lord, we don't understand what we're going through, what you're 